Hello and welcome to the very first Employer Insights Ireland podcast, most brand new podcast series where we look at the themes and the trends that are currently shaping the employee benefits landscape here in Ireland. My name is James Campbell. I'm the Head of Strategy and Policy at Mercer Island. And on each episode of Employer Insights, I'm going to be inviting Mercer thought leaders and other special guests to explore and debate lots of different issues affecting employers and hopefully to provide them with a much better sense of, of what's going on currently, what's coming down the tracks and the kind of things that they might need to do. But today, though, and for this first podcast of the series, we want to take more of a macro look at the landscape here in Ireland. I think it's fair to say there is a lot happening in the benefits and rewards space. This is a, an important period in particular for pensions. And I thought it would be good to just set the scene a bit for some of the topics that we'll be covering in more detail later in the series. So to help me with that, I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague, John Mercer. John's recently been appointed the CEO of Marsh McLennan Island and is also going to continue in his role as CEO of Mercer, which he's done for four years now. He's over 20 years of experience working in the pensions and employee benefits industry. So, John, a warm welcome to you to Employer Insights. No better person, I think, to kick off this new podcast series. And I'm very keen to uh, to hear your thoughts. Um, I was just wondering, you could kick things off for us by just telling us a little bit about Mercer, actually, for those that perhaps aren't completely familiar with, with what we do. Yeah, thanks, James. And uh, delighted to be the first guest on our new podcast series, which is something that um, we're all very excited about. And, um, you know, there'll be some great topics coming on later in the series, which I hope will be of huge benefit to employers um, as they consider, you know, a lot of the challenges that we're going to talk about uh, uh, over the coming months. So, yeah, a little bit about Mercer. So uh, for those who might not know, Mercer is part of a global firm called Marsh McLennan. Um, who, along with um, Marsh, Oliver Wyman and Guy Carpenter, uh, we help clients um, with challenges and opportunities in their businesses, primarily in the space of risk, strategy and people. Um, for Mercer in Ireland in particular, um, we've been operating in Ireland now for over 50 years um, and we primarily help our clients in the areas of employee benefits, uh, retirement, investments and people's strategy. So, John... As I said, there's a there's a lot going on in the pensions, benefits and rewards space at the moment. And you actually wrote an article recently for the Irish Independent, which very much centred on a lot of that activity and in particular the government's reform agenda for occupational pensions. So at the centre of those reforms, of course, is, is auto-enrolment. Um, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about auto-enrolment? You know, what is it? What can we expect? Yeah, sure, James. Um, so um, it's long been recognised that, you know, the sustainability of our pension system is 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 challenged. Um, and one of the reasons why this is, is that people are living longer and um, there'll be less workers in the future to pay the taxes that's required to um, continue with our current state pension system in the future. Um, so this is a similar challenge in other countries and what, what other countries have done have brought in an auto-enrollment pension system, and which effectively is where employees who don't currently contribute to a pension scheme are auto-enrolled into a, um, a, a pension system um, and they contribute, the employer contributes and the government contributes. And those, those uh, contributions are invested and they increase over time. So when people come to retirement, they have... Um, a, a pension pot there, a private pension pot that which can be used to supplement the state pension in retirement and obviously creates greater financial security uh, across the system 
with, 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 with many, many more savers. So you mentioned there that it's been it's been introduced in other countries. So by all accounts, it's been pretty successful in places where it's been rolled out. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Ireland is an outlier in the regards that it doesn't have an auto enrollment pension system. Um, so annually, Mercer produces a, a global pensions index where we compare pension systems across the world. Um, and Ireland ranks well for the adequacy of our system and the integrity of our system. But where we fall down compared to others is on the sustainability of our system. And that is because we don't have a feature of our system such as an auto enrollment system. So some countries who who have introduced this and have seen the benefits are Australia, who introduced it maybe over 20 years ago. Um, they're seeing huge benefits from that, where everybody now has a superannuation um, uh, in, in, in Australia. The UK introduced it over, over um, 10 years ago. Um, and they were like ourselves in terms of before they introduced auto enrollment, they had about 50% of, of workers uh, contributing with private pension. That's now up around 90%. Um, so you can see then the impact that that will have into the future where you know people will become less reliant on the state pension as the sole form of income and retirement will have be able to supplement that with private pension savings. And this is a hugely positive thing, um, not only for savers, but also for society um, um, and creates a lot more financial security um, a, a, across the spectrum in society. Yeah, and I think certainly the evidence is, is pretty compelling. Um, but of course, the government's trying to do this at a, at a point in time when, you know, the, the economic environment is challenging. And it used a phrase in the article that I quite liked that a balance had to be struck between the short term needs of, of today's workers and the longer term needs of tomorrow's pensioners. Um, maybe just explain mm. that point of view a little bit more. So, look. Auto enrollment has been a, a, a policy that has been out there for over 20 years and successive governments have committed to implementing it. But for one reason or another, it has always been kicked down the road. Um, and there's always some reason why not to do it, either politically or economically. Um, and, you know, yeah, potentially this is not a great time either. You know, and we're in a cost of living crisis. We're in an energy crisis. There's a lot of uns certainly around the global macroeconomic landscape. Um, and, you know, in some cases, it will put some pressure on, uh, on employees and on, on employers. But, you know, the statistics are, are, are stark in terms of the number of people who are going to be saving, are going to be working in 30 years' time versus now. So the economics don't support the current system we have. So we have to take action now. To address that because all we're doing every year we don't implement an auto enrollment system is we're just putting more and more pressure uh, onto future generations yeah and i guess that's you know coming back to the article i guess that's why the, you made the point the government needs, needs to hold its nerve on this um we might just bring this this topic then round to the impact of, of auto enrollment on employers in particular because obviously it's going to be a massive change and what's being proposed is a way to um bolster private pension saving, but of course, doing that through the existing occupational pension system. Um, so for employers, I think it's going to be unlike anything we've seen before here, because up to this point, employers have been able to essentially decide for themselves what kind of plan they want to provide and whether that's uh, going to be compulsory for their employees or not and so on. Um, 
but as you said, you know, it is coming, barring a major policy U-turn or some other, you know, political obstacle, it is going to arrive. So in terms of then the, you know, the impacts on employers and the kind of things that they should be doing right now, what would you be saying then to an employer as regards, you know, some kind of meaningful and, and prudent forward business planning on auto-enrollment? Yeah, so what I would say to employers is that auto-enrollment is definitely going to happen. Uh, and it is going to be a significant issue for all employers. Um, it's going to affect nearly every employer in some way, um, but, but in different ways. So you will have some employers who already have um, occupational pension schemes, but they will need to review those schemes. And um, because perhaps not everybody is contributing to those schemes, or perhaps um, the benefits that they provide might not meet some the, the minimum standards which we expect to be published later this year. Um, but we have a fair idea what they are. Um, and then you have some employers who don't provide any uh, pension plan or pension uh, or contribute to any pension uh, plan for their empl employees, you know, and so they will have to look at this and they will have to see what is the right um, vehicle for them to provide a, a pension for their um, employee employees, um, because there are nuances in, in, in the uh, in, in the, the, the regulations that have been published to date. Um, um, it's not straightforward. I won't get too technical about it, but in, in, in short, um, for some employees, it may be better, they may be better off in the auto enrollment system. But for other employees, depending on circumstances such as income, taxation, et cetera, they may be better off in a private pension plan that the employer might provide. So, you know, there's numerous things that I think employers are going to have to consider. Um, and I would urge all employers, you know, we know this is coming and um, it's prudent to start planning for this. Um, and we're seeing many employers who are addressing this now. And I think, you know, it would be it would, it would be advisable for employers to get ahead of this. Yeah, yeah, I'd absolutely echo that. Um, and again, going back to what you were saying before about um, auto enrollment when it was introduced in other countries or so when it was introduced in the UK, um, there were papers that came out a year or two afterwards that that, that set out very clearly how challenging it was for a lot of employers operationally and a lot of these issues hadn't been kind of fully understood in advance we've got the benefit of hindsight now um on that uh, and actually one of the one of the the learnings from that process that the uk went through was was how important it was for employers to really get ahead of this so i yeah i'd absolutely echo that uh in terms of you know things that an employer could can do uh can do now um Let's leave auto enrollment then for the time being and take the conversation just in a slightly different direction, but still um, touching on something that you that, that again you covered in your independent article. Um, you talked about upcoming changes which we're expecting um, next year, which are going to allow employees the legal right to stay in employment until their state pension kicks in at age 66, regardless of what's in their employment contract. And this is all part of this, this um, I suppose, the growing sense that the traditional ways of working and retiring are changing and, and uh, you know, driven, I suppose, in part by the fact that many people can't actually afford to retire, but there are, of course, plenty of employees who want to carry on working. Can you maybe just um, give us your thoughts on, on this emerging flexible retirement environment and, and how that's going to impact on employees, maybe? Yeah, um, yeah, I think this is another... Um, a significant issue that employers need to address. Um, um, I think 
the traditional view of retirement is changing. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, someone works for 40 years and then on a certain date decides to retire and then never works again. Um, I think in the future, we, you know, that would be, you know, I, I don't think many people will be doing that. I think flexibility around retirement is what we're going to see in the future. Um, and for, for a number of reasons, you know, um, we're all living longer. Therefore, you know, um, you can come to 65, you might have another, hopefully, you know, 25, 30 healthy years on the planet. You know, for some people, you know, they won't want to just, you know, go off and kick their heels for that period of time. Many people will want to continue working. You know, lots of people like working. It's very good for our mental health. It's 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 a huge part of um, our social lives. So many people will want to continue working. Um, yeah. Also, and we touched as linked to our daughter enrollment conversation. Um, many people will need to work if they're living longer. They will need the income to support their to support them um, into the future or as 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 they live longer. Um, and actually, you know, there's many benefits to employers for this. Like we're in we all know we're in a very tight labor market. There's a huge talent and skills shortage. Um, and just because somebody comes to a certain age, does that mean they don't have the skills to contribute to a business, particularly where people are finding it hard to attract and retain talent? So there's benefits um, to employers as well. So, yeah, I, I just I, I just think the whole nature of retirement will change um, uh, in the future. It, it, it may be that, you know, people don't want to work, you know, eight, nine hours a day, five days a week, but they will want uh, potentially to work in some form, whether that's reduced hours or go do something completely different than what they've been doing in their the main part of their career. So look, I think, you know, it's clear that in lots of aspects of work now, employees are demanding more flexibility. And this is something that's going to be, you know, imposed on employers. So again, it's something they're going to need to get ahead of. I think that that's that's the point, isn't it? That it's it's something that you know there's there's a shift, I guess, in the balance of power in terms of employees being able to dictate the the point at which that they're going to exit an organisation, um, and you could definitely foresee that having an effect on the way that an employer has kind of set themselves up operationally up to this point, and and indeed maybe even also culturally. Um, do you think? Yeah. Do you, could you see that? Uh, that being an issue, what what are the kind of things that we might have to see employers having to do um, to cope with that? Well, I think first and foremost, foremost, I think employers need to start addressing this proactively. What's probably been happening to date is employers looking at this on a case by case basis. Somebody is approaching retirement, you know, they may want to stay on longer. They go to the employer, a decision is made, yes or no, whether that employer can depends on various reasons. Um, that the employer uh, takes into consideration. Um, but, you know, as we become an older society, we'll have more and more people coming to retirement each year. So it's important that employers stand back and look at how this is going to impact their business. What are the benefits for them to their business? What are the risks to them for their business, right? And really start addressing this uh, holistically and putting a proper policies around it that, you know, that they then can communicate to employees in a very positive way um, um, and because that's what employees are looking for. They're looking for clarity around this. So I think um, it's important that employers start to really, you know, not see this as something that's down the road that we need to address and we're able to muddle through. I think it's really important that employers start really addressing this in a very proactive way. Yeah, 
I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. And and we've done our own recent uh, em, employer surveys, and uh, the the preliminary results from that are actually quite very interesting and, and demonstrate that there are there are pretty much well something like eighty or ninety percent of employers have people in you know a five year period prior to retirement. So and and seventy percent or more have had. Uh, requests from employees to work for longer already. It, so it is very much a, you know, a, a growing trend. And I would entirely agree with you. That it's something that employers would need to to get ahead of in 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 the ways that you recommended there at, at an early stage. Um, just staying on retirement matters, maybe just for a moment longer. Um, can we just talk about the other major shift that's kind of going on in the pensions landscape at the moment, which is the, the growing use by employers, of these things called master trusts. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit about what a master trust is, first and foremost, um, and maybe um, tell us you know, why, why are they growing in prominence at the moment? Yeah, so a, a master trust is um, essentially... Um, an, an overarching trust structure, which employers can then participate in and have their own section of a master trust, which is their pension scheme uh, within the master trust. And this is different to the way, you know, um, trusts traditionally ran, where each employer would have its own standalone trust with its own set of trustees, um, et cetera. Um, so um, why this is happening is because um, it's a very interesting statistic that Europe has 1% of the population, but 50% of the pension schemes, which is crazy when you stand back and think about it. So we have tens of thousands of pension schemes, many of which, you know, have a handful of, 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 of employees in it, or maybe in, in lots of cases, one employee in it, right? So the regulator says, well, this is a really difficult system for us to regulate properly and have robust governance around pension schemes. So... You know, their um, ambition is to really condense and consolidate the number of pension schemes in the market into what are described as a master trust. So or, or in lots of cases into a master trust, it won't be for every scheme, but in lots of cases for a master trust. And that master trust then provides that overarching governance um, um, uh, outsourced to professional trustees with high quality investment options, high quality administration, high quality communications for their employees. Um, so really, at the heart of this is better governance uh, and improved outcomes for savers when they come to retirement. So what kind of employer then, John, should be looking at a master trust? Is there any particular kind of employer um, that would be most eligible for one? Well, I think any employer who currently has a divine contribution pension scheme should look at this. Defined benefit plans can't currently participate in a master trust. You know, legislation doesn't um, support that. So, but any employer providing defined contribution scheme for employees should really be looking at um, this and how the impact of the regulations known as IRP2 will have on their pension scheme and make a decision on what's the right structure for their pension scheme going forward. Um, now, interestingly, probably maybe back 18 months ago, two years ago, we would have thought that it would be mostly small to medium-sized schemes that we were looking at master trusts. But we have been surprised that many large schemes in the market have also begun looking or either have transitioned to a master trust. Um, and why might they do this? Well, you know, really, they might say, well, look, you know, we spend a lot of time um, and cost in terms of 
running our pension scheme and there's a lot of increased governance requirements around that. Um, but we can outsource that to a master trust where we can still get that high quality governance and get all the other high quality aspects of a pension scheme that I described earlier on the investments and the communications administration side. So that can be all achieved um, through a master trust. Um, and employees really don't see much of a difference. You know, they see still that they are in, in, in ABC limited pension scheme. Um, so it does, it's not really a big change for the employees. The change is really mostly on that on that governance side. Now, there will still be many employers who will be, you know, will want to and will be happy to put the time and effort and cost required to run, to continue with their own pension scheme, and that's fantastic, you know. And, there will, and 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 you know, we work with many employers who have made that decision and continue to support them with that. So really, employers need to look at that and go, well, you know, how much time and effort and costs are we willing to give our pension scheme? And are there alternatives out there such as the Master Trust where we could achieve all that um, and still have a high quality pension solution for our employees? Yeah, I got that. another great point there actually. I mean, in, in terms of the, you know, the high quality pension solution for employees, employees, it seems to me at the moment are very keen on the overall employee experience associated with their benefit programs. And I guess that one of the attractions of a master trust, it seems to me anyway, is that uh, a lot of that heavy lifting is is being done centrally by the master trust. You've got you know strong communications arrangements. You've uh, got a usually got a very strong you know technological um, platform behind it, and so on. Um, would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, James. But it's also a scale issue, you know. So like mm. if you if you are an employer with a pension scheme that you know, has maybe, you know, 50 members, 100 members, five, 10 million in assets. Um, you know, like that allows you to do so much and provide so much um, services to uh, your, your members and, and your employees. Um, but if you join a master trust, you know, you, you're now suddenly in a plan that maybe has 2 billion in assets, you know. So that 2 billion then can be scaled up to provide, you know, really high quality investment options, really high quality communication and education materials, which, which is essential actually, which is one of the most important things, ensuring that when people do contribute, they know, you know what they should be investing in, they know what the benefits are, they know what they should be planning for retirement. And um, so, you know, Master Trust allow you to get all the you know, benefit from that scale and that high quality of service and solution that can then be passed on to employees. So, um, you know, not only is there benefits on the governance side, there's huge benefits for employees and members now of Master Trusts when you bring that scale together to deliver really high quality outcomes. Mm. That segues actually very nice actually into the to the last thing I want to talk to you about, John. Um, just uh, I guess in relation to the overall employee experience and and the, and the general benefits offering provided by employers. So you know, obviously, we've talked a lot about what's happening in in the pension space, but. You know, there is a lot of change happening as well in, in the broader benefits and rewards space. Um, you touched on it earlier about the way that the uh, the labour market is is changing um, and, the, and, and some of the challenges that we're seeing at the moment in that. What, what are your thoughts at the moment on, on the kind of the broader benefits um, issues for employers? Yeah, well, I think, you know, even pre-COVID, um, you know, flexibility around working practices and benefits was becoming increasingly 
um, in demand by employees. I think COVID has kind of accelerated that in, in a number of ways, not only in working practices and how and where we work, um, but I think it's transferring through also to, to, to benefits um, and what employees are looking for from an employer. Um, so in this very tight talent market, as I spoke about, um, you know, employees are now looking for key differentiators in terms of, you know, what their employee employer is offering. Um, um, and benefits plays into that. Um, so again, people looking not for one size fits all options, but how this impacts me and how this is personalized to me and how it meets me in my stage of life. Um, so, you know, whilst traditionally, um, employers provided some good benefits. It was really one size fits all, and this is what we provide. I think increasingly now employers are looking. Well, you know that doesn't really suit me. Maybe that's more tailored to um, a colleague in a different stage of life. So I think employees now increasingly looking at that, going, you know, how is my employer considering my needs? What's important to me, and what are they going to provide for me to help me with that? Yeah. Yeah. And again, very much speaks to that point I made earlier about the, you know, at the moment, at least the, the balance of power seems to have shifted towards employees in terms of being able to drive um, some changes at the employer level in terms of the benefits that are being offered and the working conditions that they're, you know, that they're, they're and doing their yeah. jobs in. And, and, it's, and it's becoming it's becoming very nuanced as well, James, in terms of employees really looking into what's behind the benefits. So healthcare, health insurance is a really good example. So previously, you know, people were just happy. My employer provides me with health insurance and that's great. And it's there if I need it. But we're seeing, you know, that increasingly as there's more and more strain on the health system and health service, getting access to care is becoming more challenging. So actually employees are looking at saying, well, you know, um, through my health plan, you know, can I get access to care quicker um, than through other plans or other maybe other providers in the market or, 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 or through different avenues in the system? And if employers can build that into the structure of the benefits they're providing and market that and saying, well, look, not only do I provide health insurance, but actually our health insurance guarantees that you can be seen to when you need it within, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it might be, you know, that's really powerful. So I, you know, again, looking behind the benefits and looking to what's you know and um, be, being provided what can be provided and seeking out that differentiation and that personalization and um, will be a key factor in providing benefits in the future as you you know look to re recruit and retain people in your workforce uh well john time is unfortunately up against us i think we could have spent uh, another couple of hours or so there talking about this but we're going to have to wrap things i'm afraid Thanks so much for your insights. I think you've definitely given listeners a, a lot of things to think about there. Um, I guess from what I'm hearing, this is definitely a you know a significant period of change for employers. So I was wondering whether just in in parting, you might uh, just set out what you think employers could probably do now, um, you know, based on some of these uh, challenges that 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 you've been talking about. Yeah, I would just say, James, you know. The changes happening, you know, are, are, are going to come very soon. Um, and I just would urge employers to, to take a step back and think about how they're positioned, 
you know, along the various items we've we've we spoke about today. Um, and and I know in some cases they can sound quite technical or, or quite daunting and might be difficult to know where to start, but you know, just to reassure employers, there's there's plenty of help and expertise and support out there. Um, and certainly any anyone, any market consultant would be would be happy to reach out and help someone who might have any questions on some of the topics we we, we discussed today. So listen, thanks again, John. Thanks everyone for listening, taking the time to join us. We are a new podcast, so please don't forget to give us a, a good review if you like what you heard and uh, and then subscribe to our podcast channel for uh, for our upcoming episodes where we'll be taking deeper dives into some of the issues that we've discussed today with John. So until next time then on Employer Insights Ireland for John and myself, thanks very much and goodbye. So if you'd like to find out more about the topics discussed today, please visit our website www.mercer.ie or email us directly at marketing.ireland at mercer.com.